Hello and welcome to the Beyond Business podcast. My name's Charles Mackay. Today we spoke with Thomas Moyne, who is the co-founder and growth and strategic um, officer at Trigger, which is a platform that pretty much uses the internet to trigger activities into your pla- into your CRM or whatever instance you use for your sales team to actually give them some insights on who to call and potentially why to call them. Super powerful and in the current environment, probably has some merit about it too. Um, we talk about Tom's career, how he got started in um, working more infrastructure and IT sales um, and moving through to what he's doing today. Obviously, Tom and I met in 2014 um, when he was a HubSpot um, strategic account manager and we worked with, I worked with Tom for about four years. Um, Tom is not what you would call your traditional alpha male sales rep. He's very strategic, very analytical. And what's really interesting about what we go through today is some of the things that have evolved and also changed quite rapidly in the last couple of months. Like if you're running an ABM strategy, it's now quite hard to actually get where people are sitting and why they're sitting there. Like no longer are people sitting in corporate offices. So they're going to be working from home. Um, and what potentially the future of sales looks like. Um, you know, is sales a dying breed or is it starting to evolve into be much more strategic than just getting the deal done and, you know, moving on to the next one? Like how long is the deal taking? Um, it's all really interesting stuff. So without further ado, I'm gonna hand over to Tom and myself and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thomas Moyne, what a pleasure it is to have a conversation with you, mate. Tell me on this fine evening or fine morning, I should say, um, welcome to the show. Whereabouts are you sitting and where would you normally be sitting in this current climate? Charles McKay, it is a pleasure to be here. Um, I am sitting uh, at home in my makeshift desk that you can see that I've created. Uh, we have two desks uh, that we've had to create in, in my uh, in my unit, so me and my partner swap desks depending on where uh, where we want to sit or, or the mood that, that we're in. So that's as, as mixed up as we can have it um, at the moment. Where I would usually be would would be in our uh, in our office um, just in the city, but it is a remote life uh, for 2020. Yeah, how long do you envision being in this this state? You know. We, we've made it really work for us. Um, yeah. And we were actually talking about, hey, on the other side of all of this, you know, maybe it is a matter of not going fully remote, like you need your team to, to be able to see each other, but um, mm. uh, have it in a way where maybe it is only a few days a week or maybe it is a lot more flexible than, um, uh, than we have been. And as, uh, as you would know, you and I built our... Um, professional relationship through through HubSpot and they had a work from home policy from day one so um, mm. all of the systems that are in place it's, it's very familiar um, to me Zoom have been using it for years um, yeah all our documents are in the cloud everything's you know accessible um, everyone's on slack so you know after the initial shock of um, yeah uh, just general business disruption it's it's actually pretty smooth mm. totally totally so tom we had the pleasure of first meeting each other i think in 20 end of 2014 we'd had a few conversations on the phone and i randomly said i'm downstairs from your sydney office so i rolled in 
walked up to your co-working space at, when you're at HubSpot, there was four people slammed in an office like a sardine tin. Yes, we um, were. <laughs> and that was sort of the start of the journey of how you and I met. Um, but roll, let's roll back a few years for yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background um, and what got you started into this SaaS sort of sales slash, you know, user experience, call it whatever you want. But yeah, where, where did your business career start? Um, how far back do you go? I mean, at uni, I was, um, I was a major in computer science and English literature. I think I was probably the only person in the whole university that was bouncing between those, those two huh. campuses. They yeah. were um, completely in contrast to each other. Uh, so I was always on, on that technical path. Couldn't tell you why. I just, I just really enjoyed it. Um, even, uh, in school, they call it ATAR now, but the HSC, um, I, I studied software um, even in year 12 before uni. So I just liked yeah. tinkering with things and I was always going to get drawn into, um, into the technology space. But while at uni, I realized quite quickly um, I, I wasn't going to be uh, the best developer in the room. There were some geniuses <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. at Sydney Uni and, and they were leaving me for dead, but I, I still had a general appreciation and um, uh, love for that space. Uh, just realized I wasn't going to be a propeller head. Um, so my first gig out of, uh, out of uni went into uh, sales for a small IT integrator. Um, loved that went and did a stint at Macquarie Telecom after that. Um, and they were going through their own transition. Uh, they'd just invested in a $60 million database, um, data center. Wow. And as a telco, um, their sales team, sales motions, all their divisions were geared towards all the telco data and, and mobile services. Yeah. yeah. What, what year was this in like 2000, 2008 or something? Nine? No, this would be around 2000, yeah, 2010, 2011. Yeah. That's that interesting. Time. So this is like building data centers before the Amazons and the Azeras had taken off. So they built their own. Yeah. Well, I saw that happen. I remember being sat down uh, in our sales meeting and our sales uh, manager at the time said, okay, just so everyone knows, um, AWS just landed this big account and it was a big deal. I can't remember what the account was, but it was a large enterprise deal. And he said, from this day forth, Amazon are no longer a small business, you know, $4.95 a month um, yeah. cloud hosting company. They're, they're now a big player and things are going to change pretty quick. And I remember, yep. I remember sitting in that, in that meeting and lo and behold, Amazon have, you know, they now, um, now dominate. Mm. Um, so that was, I guess that, that initial exposure into um, the SaaS space because they were our customers. They were the ones that were buying the mission critical hosting solutions. And so started to learn about software as a service and uh, hosting your applications in the cloud and everything involved there. Mm. Um, and then, an interesting change that happened uh, within my career is we had a bit of turnover and attrition in the team and it was all hands on deck with a few things. And I actually ended up helping with setting up their Marketo system, sending mm -hmm. out newsletters in their Marketo instance, which was a pretty new tool at, at the time and an expensive mm -hmm. toy that they had purchased. Um, and I, I, I truly think that it was that exposure with Marketo that gave me the kind of the edge into um, launching the HubSpot office and, and 
knowing that uh, knowing that space. Um, and, and so, yeah, when HubSpot launched in 2014, um, I was on the I was one of the first recruits. They flew us over for a month to spend time in Boston, mm. um, and it wasn't too many more months after that, that that I met you. You were obviously pretty pretty early on, uh, mm. having come in and, and see us in that in that small office at the time. Who was who were the first four employees in APAC? Uh, so it was, it was myself, Emma Hogan. Mm-hmm. Um, we were on the channel side. Uh, there was another person uh, that had come over from Dublin, uh, Mads Nelson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the direct team, uh, it was Madison Carmody and Nicholas Hajipuru. Yeah, right. Um, all of whom have gone on to do some some very cool and, and amazing things. And I, I cannot forget um, uh, Dave O'Connor, who uh, uh, started as a BDR. So he, he started uh, with basically doing cold outreach. Um, mm-hmm. And he's obviously done amazing things since then as well. And featured as a remote working, surfing, somewhat so-called legend or pioneer. That was funny a couple of years ago when his article was um, launched. I think it was on Sydney Morning Herald. Um, yeah, yeah, that was great. I remember him, him saying they did a photo shoot. So he had to sit on the beach <laughs> with his surfboard and a laptop just for the, for the feature article. Uh, and I think I remember him saying how it was just a disastrous day, like it was really cold and they just kept wanting to take all these photos. He's just sitting there in his, you know, in his boardies while they've got photographers trying to make him look, you know, like he's sitting in the sun. Yeah, yeah. Classic. So, <clears throat> Tom, obviously, um, you know, going through that four or five years at HubSpot, um, pretty amazing journey, I'd say, you would have had internally and seeing that business grow from, you know, I suppose what would it have been when you were there? Probably 600 employees and probably three and a half thousand by the time you, you finished up. Um, and I'm sure we could have a whole whole interview on that journey in its own right. But maybe just in prog- progression to what you're doing now, from what you were doing at that telco and then to what you learned at HubSpot, how did what the telco telco was doing from what they were selling to then what you started selling and how selling evolved in your four years at HubSpot. What were the two biggest things or two biggest takeaways you took out of that? Well, I think that in hindsight, when I look back, I think some of the biggest changes was that um, you had the rise of, of inside sales as, as a dominant force of engaging buyers. Mm. Um, and it it existed early on, but it wasn't seen as a a highly skilled profession, uh, at least within the the sales realm. It was the field reps that you wanted mm-hmm. to to be. Everyone was a field rep, and Macquarie Telecom was was no different. You had um, uh, you had the sales director get up on on stage, and he said, "I don't want to see anyone in their seats." That means that you're not out talking to customers, and that you know, and that was uh, that was the the way that things worked. Um, now, HubSpot comes in coming from the US, so very cutting edge in terms of how they engage customers. And mm. all of a sudden, you're able to connect with people with um, on WebEx at the time. It was before Zoom, but mm. shows how early adopters they were. Um, and just being able to, you know, in, engage the customer while they're still sitting at their desk um, was far more efficient and it became more, I guess, more adopted and more um, more acceptable to have important meetings over Zoom mm. um, 
there was some resistance early on. There was some big deals where we would have some uh, Zoom calls, but then, you know, when you talk to that senior person, you, you still have to go out and meet them face to face. And I, I'm, you know, in Australia, I still think that that's um, pretty important, but mm. um, yeah, no, no Zooms or, or WebExes or anything like that at, um, at Macquarie Telecom in, in the early days. Yeah, it's um, it's really interesting when you start looking at it. I, if I look at our relationship, you know, I drove up to flew up to Sydney and drove back to Melbourne. I whipped up and had a quick coffee with you, and probably over the five or six year tenure, went to your office six or seven times. So once or twice a year, and we'd see each other at Boston, talk to you all the time or through all sorts of other channels. But um. I, I do believe that the it's a bit of a limiting belief that you have to have a coffee or have to take them out for lunch or have to do those, you know, mundane things in the sales process. Yes, relationship building is really important, but you don't need to do it at the start. Do it once they're on <laughs> they're on board and you add value at that point. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I was I was listening to something earlier just uh, in the last week or so where lots of companies are, are being forced into this new world um, mm. and some. That, you know, like, like myself, doing business in, in the way that we're doing business now is, you know, the transition's been pretty smooth, but yeah. um, some businesses have suddenly really been, struggled. Yeah. you know, they've realized, hang on, I can actually have a team that can attend, you know, multiple meetings a day, every day of the week, and not have to pay for their flights and hotels just to do maybe two meetings, you know, totally. per, per day. Totally. Um, and they're still progressing deals forward. Yeah. And there's and there's so much um, ego probably that goes into that traditional way of doing things. And it, like a thing that I'm quite passionate about is removing the wastage from these two sales and marketing departments. Like there's so much wastage in marketing and there is just so much wastage in sales. You simplify that. Reality is the rep's life for, you know, BDR's life's going to get better. They're going to do more work. They're going to do more quality work and they're not going to get as unhealthy like there's so many positives that come from it more time with your family um so you know i think that quality over quantity thing becomes even more important so it's going to be really interesting i think where where it ends up and how businesses what who goes back to the old way and who just adopts it and moves forward 100 percent. there's going to be a lot of people that are um, going to be looking for quick cheap dirty solutions when when their back is against the wall um, and uh, then there will be the, the businesses that actually do go quality over quantity and I, I think it'll yeah. be obvious which one will reign supreme yeah again. and we all know that the quick fix doesn't solve the problem anyway you've got to go a lot deeper um, correct which makes sense so you have had an amazing career at HubSpot Tom and then you know you've you've ventured out tell tell us what the main driver was you know, for you to shift gears and go and um, partner up with someone and, and have a crack at something yourself. Like what was that internal drive that, that made you do that? Go from a, not so, I'm not going to say a cushy job, but you know, a hard working, you know, where you got looked after very well job to um, having a crack on your own. Yeah, I would say it was uh, just a little voice in my head that's always been there. And that voice just got louder and louder um, until it reached a point where I, I, you know, pulled the switch on it. Um, so during my initial very first interview with G2 Matani, who's, um, 
the international VP for, for HubSpot. He said, where do you see yourself in five years? And I said, running my own agency. Mm. Um, so uh, when I started at HubSpot, I ended up working on the agency team, helping channels because that was mm. where I was interested in. But I, I always had that vision in my head. And sure enough, it was uh, a five-year stint at, at HubSpot. Um, and I had no idea how rewarding that five years would be. Mm. Um, I, I wrote my, uh, my resignation letter and I, it, I, I posted it on LinkedIn. I did it on my last day. I didn't put much thought into it. It was kind of like I have to hand my laptop in in the next five minutes. You know what? I, I may as well do a quick goodbye on LinkedIn. So I just slapped it on and, and left mm. it. And it ended up getting seen uh, 450,000 times and it wow. got however many thousands of likes and just went completely viral, which was, was surreal. Um, and so uh, the, the reason I guess I, I leapt into this space was because I had spent about my last 18 months at, um, at HubSpot focusing on sales services. Mm -hmm. um, with people like yourself and, and other agencies, because what had happened is that HubSpot had, had launched a free CRM and then some paid tools behind that CRM. And having worked with, uh, with the channel model and the agencies, all of a sudden they're being told, well, you can provide sales services now. Um, and for, for some that was great for others, there was resistance. And for some, they, there was zero interest because they'd mm. had 20 years in marketing. Mm. Um, and so taking agencies on that journey down sales services and what's possible with sales services um, sparked my interest. And uh, that, that connection or, or alignment between sales and marketing and, and how important that is, um, is, is essentially something that is now core to the new business that I'm at. Um, yeah. is trigger. So I ended up going down into joining a, um, a startup, um, uh, which is in the sales intelligence space. So it, it works with, with sales reps to give some, give them some Intel, um, to have context for conversation, um, yeah. all around trigger events. I love it. We'll, we'll get into trigger in a minute. Um, sure. I think one thing that's interesting to highlight just externally to, to, let people know the sheer scale of how quickly things evolved um, within the HubSpot sort of ecosystem, you know, 10 years or nearly eight years, nine years of a marketing product to then, or seven years of a marketing product into a CRM, into a service product in about nine months. Um, so you've got 5,000 odd partners globally selling marketing services and products and blogs and all of the assets that go with that. And then all of a sudden I've gone, right, now you've got to sell, down that channel into, into sales and service. Um, and it became very disruptive for businesses, agencies, um, I'm sure for you guys, but it was an early play by HubSpot and it was, I think it's gonna play off in the long run. Um, but talk about adaption and change of climate, like totally disrupted the whole industry. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there were two, two big plays um, that HubSpot put in place and, and they did them both pretty much at the same time. The first one was the movement to a freemium model. Yeah. Um, so having a, a free CRM and not something that's, you know, that you can barely use, like it's a, a fully functional CRM and they just released it for free. Mm. Um, and then the second was 
um, becoming a, a multi-product company and, and yeah. you know, going from having that single marketing product to the full flywheel, the, the suite. Yeah. yeah. And now as a platform as it's moving into, and that, so leading into what you're doing now, that <clears throat> it's really interesting, that sales and marketing alignment piece sort of, it's, it's interesting how we even started with my business um, when we partnered with you. It was sales, marketing. Actually, IT was the friction. So sales departments, marketing departments, punch head. But then you put the IT department in the room and then they all glaze over and look at each other and go, what are you all doing? Yeah. Um, but let's drill into a little bit about the problem that you're trying to solve now or when you started with Trigger. What, you know, what is this funnel bloat or this sales process bloat that you're trying to solve? For reps and to give them that insight well the way i think about it is marketing has done a an amazing job over the last um five or so years uh in terms of becoming more data driven and being able to to actually measure um uh you know leads funneling through and nurturing them until until they're buying ready um and with sales they you know they're now the ones that are a little bit behind. Um, mm. And so the best, uh, best organizations in, in the world, the best companies in the world, um, you know, at, at best, they might generate 30% of their number from, from MQLs, marketing qualified leads. Uh, mm. So that's, that's the top. So where do the rest of the reps number come from? Well, you can't afford to just smash the phone anymore. Uh, you know, it's, it's not in a world where you can make the, the 80 calls a day with nothing unique to say to any of them. It's just picking up the phone and, you know, are you ready to buy? Are you ready to buy? Mm. Um, and so now it's what, what I believe is, is sales is, is starting to lift their game and there's now a focus and an empowerment um, for sales reps. So what Trigger does is it gives the intel um, for the rep to, to have that um, contextual conversation to actually have something unique to say when, when they don't have the reliance on these MQLs. Mm. Um, you listen out for trigger events that you know, can lead to a valuable conversation, whatever that is, senior yeah. role change, company adopts yeah. a certain technology. Um, um, any of these are, are, are something that's going to lead to, you know, a, a conversation that has value or that you can actually help with. Mm. And it, it's, it's not just the trigger platform. There's, there's other tools that I'm really enjoying seeing the rise of like gong and chorus. So conversational intelligence as well. Um, and all of these are kind of lifting the game of, of the sales rep mm. uh, to, to basically the, what we saw within marketing within the last five years, I see happening now with within sales. Yeah, makes sense. So the problem that you guys are initially solving to what you're sort of seeing now, and even in this current environment, have you seen any shifts and pivot? I don't like the word pivot because it should be just shifts or micro changes that you do, not a full pivot. Um, what are you seeing that's happening at the minute? Couple of things. The first thing is, um, people aren't in, in buying mode right now. So mm. <clears throat> you need to be a, a strategic seller to start building those relationships early and understand that it's going to be a longer, a longer game um, and, and be okay with just adding value without, you know, taking, taking, taking anything um, mm. in return. Uh, so 
what that's meant is that inbound leads have dropped off. So across the board, there's, there's a lot of studies that are showing that um, the leads that are converting on websites have, have completely dropped off, but you know, reps still need to hit their number, obviously, so they need to lift up their side of the game. Um, and then on the periphery, there is another consequence that we've seen, which is any organization that's focusing on ABM marketing, mm -hmm. so account-based marketing. Um, the backbone of account-based marketing is very heavily dependent on um, reverse IP lookup. So you can target organizations or specific accounts knowing their IP ranges from between businesses. <laughs> They're all working from home now. <laughs> it was, yeah, as far as the seller is concerned, I work for TPG, you know, because that's my... That's my IP address. So um, that's disrupted a lot of yeah, right. uh, efforts as well. Um, that, that's not the ABM marketing isn't solely dependent on, on IP ranges, but it's a big part of it. Mm. And that's, that's been heavily disrupted. So um, in terms of where, where triggers been fitting in, it's still a similar value proposition where we're not, backflipping on, on our strategy. I think any business yeah. that does a complete 180 is, you, you may not have had the best strategy to begin with, but um, yeah. certainly, uh, certainly adapting to those needs of reps are now working from home. They want to hold themselves accountable. Um, uh, they don't have leads to call. You know, it's a little trickier to motivate yourself when you're, mm. you know, sitting by yourself without the, the, um, you know, that energy from, from the team that's around you. Mm -hmm. uh, and now listening out for trigger events, which are, you know, can help you open strategic conversations. Mm. From the um, defining these triggers, you know, whether it be an ideal client profile, personas of interest, whatever it may be, um, give some examples outside of the technical ones and job-based, you know, new roles. Like what sort of other triggers are you seeing people get really creative with to go, right, there's an opportunity for me to have a strategic conversation, not try and push product? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it obviously comes down to the company, their value proposition, their product, and, and more importantly, their, their buyer. Um, one of the more creative ones that I've seen, I won't um, say the name of the, the business, but uh, they wanted to know uh, when an employee started at a company and the location of that employee did not match uh, the, the headquarters. So match the location of the headquarters and, and the mm -hmm. service that, that, that this company provides is basically travel services. Yeah. Um, and so what that means to them, that's, that's a, that's a big trigger event because what, what that means is essentially if, if somebody um, is working in a location that doesn't match the headquarters, then they're going to have to travel a lot between back and forth between those two locations. Yeah. Uh, now all of this data is, is available on, on the web. So it's just a matter of having a, a workflow tool or a workflow automation tool that can string it together, which mm. is what we, uh, which is what we did for them. Um, so you can get, you can certainly get very creative. I mean, an interesting stat in terms of the public web mm. uh, is it's, it's 90% of the content on the internet was created in the last two, two years. Wow. Wow. So if you think of exponential growth, that's in my eyes, exponential growth. <laughs> yeah, so that, crazy. That data is going to 
get more and more leveraged, um, you know, as, as time goes on and buzzwords like machine learning and, and AI will, will slowly start to kick into gear and really, you know, be able to decipher informative mm. intel out of that. Mm. What's leading into that sort of topic and it can become a minefield, but what's your thoughts on, you know, as everyone now is a content creator and it's getting harder and harder to decide what is the source of the truth? What is the factual information? Do you see a, a, a private web being built versus a public web where, so what I mean by that is it's a paid internet versus a free internet. Do you think that'll ever happen? Um, well, there's a few points there. I mean, I, not talking about net, net neutrality or, or anything like that, but just mm. the, the noise that's coming through. We started to see this with, with the early days of blogging and, and everybody mm. was, uh, was blogging and, you know, how, how did you uh, rank to the top when there's so much noise and it just came down to quality? You know, you, mm. it wasn't about just smashing out eight blogs a, a week. You actually had to write something of, of value mm. um, with, well, with the persona. Candy content versus good content, yeah. And so now you're seeing that transition to video. It's no longer just about good blog content, um, just so you can rank number one. Ranking number one barely even exists as an idea anymore. No. Um, so now it's, you know, you've got video content, you've got online widgets, you've got all different kinds of, of online content. I am seeing a, a, a rise in um, gated or paid gateway contents as little ecosystems uh, yep. uh, starting to get built. So people that want to um, get that higher quality, you know, there's, there's businesses that are taking advantage of it. Sure, I, I see that as pretty valuable. <clears throat> That's not gonna go away. Um, no. But I, yeah, I think, I don't think content as a strategy is going to disappear. Um, that's how you educate yourself. And if anything, education is becoming more important now. Everyone's, um, mm. you know, trying to adjust and learn in, in 2020 and the spike yeah. in interest in online education courses has, has gone through the roof. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's guys like Sales IQ who, you know, for sales teams, um, you sign up and you get access to some of the best consultants in the world. Um, and there's there's other tools as well, obviously, um, mm. that are out there. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Um, and even the education flip and shift and how universities have tried to move into this space like overnight. You can imagine how many people have been trying to tell them, you need to build this, you need to build this. And then it's like, whoop, we need to do it now. Um, yeah without the change management piece. And, you know, now they're str probably starting to wonder why teachers are going crazy and students aren't listening. And, you know, that's where the change management becomes so important. You, you can flip something, but it won't sustain through the, the really tough stuff. Um, and you'll pretty much guarantee they'll go back to the old way of doing it rather than this hybrid sort of solution going forward. Um, you know, start thinking about school in the future like it shouldn't be five days a week at school it should be out and about like this you should be able to do school from a cafe you should be able to do school from anywhere as well not just chain them to the you need to be in this classroom at this time because then it's real world le learning real world thinking um you know rather than the the typical theoretical you know educational process which i'm sure has changed a lot um but yes yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating i think your points are um are interesting and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, well, I was, I was having a, a conversation with my business partner 
uh, not too long ago about this. And I was very much leaning into the, um, to what you were just saying. His counter argument was, was strong though. So he, um, uh, he was basically studying mathematics and had a mathematics teacher um, at the time and uh, basically saw some talent within uh, within him and saw that he was, you know, had some some potential and basically took him under the wing and the motivation that he got just by having, you know, that yeah um, that face to face relationship and and mentoring, um, you know, allowed him to uh, you know become quite strong and he obviously able to uh, was able to to go to university with with great grades and he attributed a lot of that to the to the relationship that he built with a teacher mm. that basically took him under his wing and mentored him and i think the biggest challenge that we'll be facing is is how do you keep that while going online um, yeah. and it will it'll just have to be a balance yeah i um i agree with that i also there's just different ways of finding these mentors like if you look at everyone's career life journey, there's going to be mentors throughout it. You've just got to find your own way of finding them. Um, and on the school piece, there's a amazing YouTube clip on on a Ted talk actually on hacking schools um, where this uh, young guy actually quit school and did his own curriculum. Um, fascinating. I'll, I'll make sure it's in the show notes. Um, sure. But yeah, he, he literally goes and, works in a shop and designs ski products he loves skiing and finds all of these passions and he builds his six pillars of life and it's just fascinating how a 14 year old kid worked all this out but it was probably because he had the right mentors um and yeah anyway that that could be what the future of school looks like but i think there's going to be a hybrid you need face-to-face -face time kids need to learn how to communicate they need to um build those social skills like imagine no yeah. social skills as kids like that's not going to be a good place um, yeah hundred percent. So getting into the journey that you've been on Tom and um, you know, from, from success at HubSpot and moving into your own adventure and you know, the journey you're on, you know, you're not at the end of the journey, but what, what's that journey been like and tell us some insights on what you thought it was going to be to like, you know, obviously consulting and helping all these, these agency owners then flipping into your own business. What's that journey been like today? Well, certainly the uh, the map does not equal the the terrain. <laughs> I, I think that's the best um, best best way that I can describe it. So, what's that mean? Well, I spent years with um, uh, with the, the likes of yourself and other agencies. So, I, I coached about eighty agencies around business growth um, and acted as a consultant as both around um, their sales coach, but also just their their business growth um, over a period of years. Uh, and uh, the, I have a newfound empathy for anyone who's running a small, small business, definitely. Mm. Um, I think some of the saving graces that I have had um, that I can attribute to HubSpot is having frameworks that you can follow and accountability systems that you can follow. Um, so, uh, an old manager of mine at the time is now the country manager of, of HubSpot. Uh, Dave Shepard taught us and, and was really drilled into us um, uh, the EOS system. I, I believe mm -hmm. you follow it as well, or at least are familiar with it. So I've found uh, myself leaning back on that quite a bit. 
we built our our, our hierarchy based mm -hmm. off of that. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got the visionary, we've got the integrator, um, and anyone that wants to to dive into this, I'm sure you can add the book into the show notes. But yeah, absolutely. It's an operating system for, for running your business. And there's been plenty of times or, or days where I may have um, forgotten about that system and, and it can seem like everything's going a bit bit crazy, but it's a great anchor to um, to pull yourself back into and, and focus on what's important on a, on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, have your accountability clearly mapped out between the, mm. between the full team. Um, but, but certainly there's, there's things about running a, uh, running a small startup that you can't read in, in a handbook. And, um, the, 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 the biggest change that I would say is you get to be much more creative, um, but you have much less resources. There's, yeah. there's, there's many magical things that occurred at, at HubSpot from the head office in Boston that you never even knew were, you know, in existence. Yeah. Whole teams dedicated to solving problems you didn't even know you had. Yeah. So all of a sudden those were things that we had to think about. Yeah. It's, um, it is fascinating. We um, had Dave Shepard on uh, a few days ago, actually, and he talked about that journey of when the EOS was implemented at sort of the HubSpot APAC region. Yep. Um, and yeah, I will definitely put notes in there. And we have an episode coming up with um, one of the guys or the, the guy that made EOS in Australia possible, uh, Dan Davis. So really looking forward to getting him on and going through it in a bit more detail. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a framework. And I agree with you that it's probably been the biggest thing. This is one of the things about HubSpot that attracted me to it was their inbound methodology. So like EOS is a methodology and it's a framework. HubSpot the inbound methodology it, that's what it is the, the software happens to do it yeah. um you need to drive it and i think as all of these tactics have changed you know different ways of doing things that that's still at the core of that business and that's why i was attracted to it um you know being a country lad being on the end of sales calls like all of these things was like this just makes sense to me yeah and it was the same with eos it's like this just makes sense um so went and did it. Um, and it's even that's a journey. Like, you know, the whole, both of them take time. And that's the thing that, um, you know, the longer term vision, the longer term thinking, more sustainable growth becomes such a big thing, um, which, you know, you can probably imagine when you're sitting in at HubSpot, it's like, why are these agencies just growing? <laughs> <laughs> in the early days, uh, yes. Yeah, that was that certainly had that thought come through my mind a few times. Oh, I do remember one call. I'm like, I rang you and this is when I was early, you know, probably less patient and looking for quicker wins. And I'm like, Tom, who, give me your top five, what they've done, who's doing it, what are they doing? And I want to, I want to copy it now. <laughs> And you're like, oh, I've got this one guy in Sydney. And I'm like, mm, I don't reckon you do. Who is this? <laughs> <laughs> it was probably you from, from the beginning. I think you had a, a very good start uh, as an agency. And it was, it was good to watch your journey as well around your, uh, your, your I guess, your business model and, and how, um, uh, how strong you were in building your systems. And I think you were actually one of the early guys to to adopt EOS and, and talk about it quite seriously, not not just mm. having read the book, but you showed me some templates that you were implementing yourself. And 
what your rocks were and then it became a bit more important internally at, at HubSpot as, um, as it was adopted and, and rolled out for us as well. Mm. That's that's cool. So are you now into your annuals and quarterlies and your level tens and doing all of that? Yeah, we have uh, we we have our our monthly investor calls and we're we're teaching a particular framework in terms of what we need to cover off on those calls and. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, it certainly helps. It's the way to go. It's uh, it's not the, it's never the the uh, the fastest solution is never the, the correct solution. So if you do it properly. Yeah, yeah. and I think. The, these models that have been around, like realities have been, all been around for quite a while. I think they're going to get a bit of a retweak soon. Um, you've got newer guys coming in that have had, you know, worked at HubSpots or worked at Salesforces or worked at these big companies that are going to have some new ways to tweak some of these core tools. And I think they're going to get it sort of dot twos are coming out. Um, that's my thoughts on it. Because um, just businesses aren't like, you know, they're not 30 year old companies anymore. <laughs> they're not yep. 25 year old companies where the family is owning it or whatever it is. Like they're, they're much newer, move much quicker, but um, I think they're going to get some tweaks. So it'll be interesting to see what, you know, what sort of that looks like. So well, EOS was almost an evolution of E-Myth, um, E-Myth Mastery. Oh, totally. And so I, I agree, it'll, it will continue to evolve. Yeah. So the theme of this podcast, Tom, is around businesses that are trying to do things better and make, you know, make lives easier and help people. Um, what's some of the things that Trigger are doing? And probably, you know, HubSpot, they had a big mission and, you know, it was easy or not easy to get on board. But once you understood that, it was pretty powerful and they got everyone rowing in that one direction. What's been the thing that, you know, you've seen at Trigger and you've started to see that this is actually making people's lives better and we're, we're actually helping rather than just selling another thing that's going to get thrown down the, thrown down the you know into the compost or into the bin um that's actually really starting to help people yeah uh, i think the first moment was hearing it from the horse's mouth of the customer and um uh, so we we had a particular customer and he, he, he the, the bdr actually called us uh, and he basically said, yeah, I've, I've booked like 12 meetings this week just using uh, using your tool. It's amazing. And it's like, that's that's so great to hear. Like, tell me exactly how you're using the tool and what yeah. your approach is to, to doing this. Um, and then that that really drives you to say, okay, this is really something to to invest my all my time and effort, blood, sweat, and tears uh, mm. into. So um, I, I see it as just helping sales reps elevate who they are and, and, and how they sell. There's a better way to actually sell. There's a better mm. way to, to, to engage with, uh, with your audience. Um, and we're, we're going through a period right now where they're, they're, I won't call it a, an extinction of sales reps, but lots of sales roles are now getting made redundant. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of the, transactional order taking roles will will no longer be required you can now purchase pretty expensive uh software online without talking to anyone hmm. so the so the future of the the sales profession is going to be the strategic seller that's yeah. that will always be there and it will always be important um but there, there will be other roles that will will essentially get get replaced 
Uh, and so how, how do you become a strategic seller? Well, you have to start early and you have to mm. start uh, as senior as possible early and, and senior. Um, and, and taking organizations on, on that journey has been, has been rewarding. Um, mm. But there's, there's a better way to do it. You, you know, you, you can't survive just by smashing the phone anymore. You have to no. do research first, have something to say, have an opinion. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And you need a overarching strategy. You have to be aligned. Um, you know, I think the really compelling thing that Brian Halligan presented at Inbound last year is how you sell is how you win. Um, yep. You have to not sell like everyone else. Um, and we've had a couple of conversations actually in this podcast series around different types of personality types in sales. Like it's no longer the alpha, you know, a type person that's winning the game. Um, you know, it's, it's really interesting actually when we first met, I brought one of my good mates with me and he was like, Tom's your sales guy. I'm like, <laughs> like, yeah. And, you know, he's expecting that typical alpha, you know, get to the phone, call people sort of, you know, alpha male sort of ego sort of type driven person um i remember <laughs> we went we went downstairs and we just had a coffee and a yarn and it was super casual and then i was like all right see you guys and just walked back up yeah yeah 100 percent. and that that's um you know the strategic part of it and like i do a similar thing is like planting the seed like seed and grow mentality that i use a lot you can just plant the seed with one line and that won't come from fruition for two to three years. Um, so, you know, understanding those strategic planting of the seeds, um, you know, you watch, you watch a favorite tree grow. It's not going to grow in six months. It takes nine, 10, 12, 20, 30 years to grow. Yeah, um, exactly. So, and that's strategic. Um, and I think, when you start to look at sales and that role, like the lifespan of a sales rep, I think is at 15 months or something. So um, even being strategic, if you're going to get into sales, treat it like your career and go, right, this is going to be a long-term play, um, which is tough. I get it. Um, you know, I was that guy that didn't want to go to uni because that was three years that I could be doing something that was more important. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love it. So Tom, um, if you were to give one tip to our audience that is, you know, trying to get hyper-focused and actually, you know, get results for their business, what would that be? Yeah. So outside of, um, sales advice and sales coaching, I think having started trigger and, and running a startup, um, blocking out your calendar and doing what you know you need to do, uh, is, is so important. And it's something we used to talk about in sales, but I think it's even more important, you know, in trying to run a business and will help anybody um, in terms of just completing and achieving and hitting the, the milestones that, that you want to hit. Um, and it ties back to the EOS model, uh, EOS model uh, in terms of, you know, write down a list of what you need to achieve and block it your calendar and make sure you you do it it's simple i, I don't know mm. if that's as groundbreaking as you're hoping for for this but it certainly helps me yeah with with that i want to ask you how you get around dealing with the daily grind stuff so um you know people 
expectations, how do you manage that when someone's expectations are through the roof and you know you've got something that is so important to do and that expectation is just going, how do you... Now, how do you break that connection so that you don't get distracted from the daily noise and get those big things done? Uh, I've, I've got a new tactic, which I'm uh, doing since we've all been working from home and it's been, it's been great. Um, and it, it's what I think everyone in, in Australia's priority had a stint at, which is I've done a 30 day yoga challenge. I get up at six in the morning, and uh, I've, I've done a session which is just self-guided. And I tell you, you know, win the morning, win the day. Mm. Uh, and I've, I've repeated that for a long time. But when, when you actually put it in place consistently, you know, it, it clears your mind in terms of what you, what you need to achieve. Um, specifically to what you said, I mean, you have to set expectations, obviously. If you need to get something done, you need to call it out early to anybody mm. Uh, else in terms of when something else may may be completed or um, or sent through um, we have some offshore developers so I spend some time in the afternoon uh, talking to the developers so I break mm. my day out by doing sort of um, operational things in the afternoon and I do sales related things in, in the morning yeah um, and just you know that works for me because of those developers but just yeah. having that that system yeah I think that that is fascinating. And, you know, if a lot of people talk about the daily routine or um, I, I believe in the daily routine. I believe too that everyone has got their own and you can't put a box and dice and say that everyone needs to fit into this one routine. Um, some people are night workers. Some people are morning workers. Some people like to sleep in the afternoon. If that's how you work and you work at your best, do it. Um, I have absolutely no problem with that. Um, but I think, I think some people really battle with that. Um, you know, it's like, if you're not, it's, it's similar to what you said about your boss at the start. If you're not in, uh, you know, out and about, you're not selling. Um, but that is such a vanity metric. Um, so 100%. Yeah. I, I love that tip. I think it's really powerful of, you know, defining what works for you and then double down on it. What works, what doesn't work and reassess. Like it's one of those tools in, in EOS actually is, a, is just a, um, is a, not your quarterly conversation, um, so, uh, clarity break where you just go and write down what's working, what's not and yep. start chipping away at them. And over time, things just start to get happier. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fads that, that come and go. And like one of them is meditation. I'm not calling it a fad, but what I will say is it doesn't exactly work for me. I've tried it mm -hmm. uh, and people preach about it. And then I see everyone, you know, in the office doing their, their meditation breaks. And then like two weeks later, they're doing the, something else because it, it's, yeah. there's another fad that Silicon Valley is preaching about. Yeah. Um, but certainly, yeah, do, do what works for you. For me, yeah. I've actually really enjoyed um, getting into yoga and it is a form of meditation, but totally meditation itself. It's doesn't, doesn't do it for me. So I don't, uh, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. It, it's fascinating too. And obviously the rise of social media, everyone's got some tips and tricks and hacks and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think those things are formed when you're at the, the earlier they're formed in your life, the better. Um, you know, I was very lucky that I got into sport at a very young age and that I was just addicted to it. So that's just, becomes 
what's it is what it is that's my meditation if i don't do that i get really tense and wound up yeah. um so uh i couldn't agree with you more so tom um you've had a pretty amazing career and journey and decisions whether you've selected them on on um tact or they have just come out um but tell us a couple of your success stories with maybe hubspot and then one with trigger that you're most proud of to date um that you know can leave that touch that you know anyone can do it you've just got to have a crack uh well i mean you're, you're gonna laugh at this because it's it has to do with uh with yourself but um the the most rewarding things that we had at um, at HubSpot was was seeing the success of our partners, and it was it was truly, you know, it, it validated wow, this is really actually changing small businesses' lives. Um, mm. And you were one of those examples, one of the early um, diamond partners, if if not the first, um, first or second. Uh, were you, were you the first? Um, I think it was quite I close. Actually, I, I think it was pretty close between at the time brand manager and us. Um, but then they rebranded to salt and stone. So then I, I held the, held the realm for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, that, that was extremely rewarding watching, you know, someone who, who I onboarded because that was rare at HubSpot. Um, at the time partners tended to shift between account managers. So it was, it was extremely rewarding to see you grow to, to a diamond partner, um, particularly with your, with your business model as well. I think it was an, an envy of, 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 many agencies mm. um so at at hubspot it was just a million small wins like that um i, I could you know it was great yeah. to go to president's clubs or go to the us or boston each year for for the inbound conference be able to take my partner and you know she gets a bit of a break from my late nights of working so i say well at least you know you've got this you know hubspot used to take you to uh your partner as well to, to a president's club. So being able to reward her with that as well was, um, was extremely rewarding. Um, and then at, at trigger, the most rewarding thing is, is, uh, having something that's building something that didn't exist p before is, is a, it's a new feeling. Mm. I think I would say it's a new, um, it's a new reward that I haven't had before. Mm. Uh, and so that's, that's pretty unique. Um, and as I said, you know, you, you, you have that, that moment with a customer that says, Hey, I just booked, you know, 12 meetings this week using your tool. And you're like, wow, that came out of my head. You know, so uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's been very rewarding. I think that's fascinating becoming a creator um, and building, you know, using all of the stuff you've learned throughout the period to then, you know, build it into a product that then sells and helps people. So I think that's yeah. amazing. Um, I think the, just what you said about, you know, seeing other people succeed, that's like, and thank you for mentioning it, but, um, you know, I agree with the best success is seeing other people succeed. Um, I get a lot of satisfaction out of that too. Um, you know, setting up those foundations so that they can grow and evolve. Um, and, you know, I could categorically say that, you know, when I rang you guys for the first time, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, <laughs> I knew that I knew where the internet and the world and technology and that was going in this space, but yeah. how and what it was going to look like, I didn't know. Um, 
you know, and I had this vision of what I was trying to put together, but I didn't know how it was going to come about. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a fascinating ride and yeah, I want to thank you for being on the journey. Um, and I look forward to seeing where trigger ends up, Tom. Um, so we better start bringing it to ground. Um, I want to thank you for, for sharing some insights and some stories. Um, so how do, how do people find yourself and trigger? Where would they go? Uh, LinkedIn. Uh, Thomas Moyne on, on LinkedIn is the best way to, to find me or just head to the uh, Trigger website, which is trigger.ai. Awesome. Tom, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to many more in the future. Thank you once again. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.